0: What kind of a show are you guys
1: putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Now, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation.
2: Live from main stage in Chicago, this is Film Spotting's 2015 rap party presented by WBEZ. I'm Josh Larson. And
3: I'm Adam Kempinar. 2015 gave us countless reminders of why we love going to movies, and with our top ten of the year safely in the books, Josh and I take a last look back at some of our favorite moments.
2: We've got special guests. We'll do Massacre Theater. We'll get improvised musical recaps from Abraham Levitan. And we're going to announce the winner of the 2015 Golden Brick Award. It's all ahead on this special live edition of FilmSpotting.
3: Hey, folks, Adam here. Hope you're enjoying this special live edition of Film Spotting. Wanted to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsors this week. We're very proud to have back, once again, audible.com. If you want a free 30-day trial, go to audiblepodcast.com. Slash film spotting, and in the next break I'll share a few of my audiobook recommendations. We're also brought to you by the Vermont College of Fine Art MFA in Film, which offers a two-year student design, project-driven graduate program of professional mentorships for your scripts, fiction, nonfiction filmmaking, and transmedia projects. Each semester begins with an on-campus residency week of screenings. You've got workshops, lectures, and then you start prepping for your independent study plan for your project. Then students and faculty return home to work independently and meet monthly via Skype as the projects unfold. The MFA program is designed to fit into the life you have and the films you make. Exciting, affordable, and intense, refine your creative vision as you develop intensely personal stories in an independent practice. Visit vcfa.edu/slash film. That's vcfa.edu/slash film. And now back to the show. This is Film Spotting Live with Josh Larson. I'm Adam Kempinar. It is wonderful to be back at main stage for our year-end wrap party. This is our fifth live show total, but this is our third here at this great venue. We appreciate having a full house. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Lots of fun stuff planned. We've mentioned a little bit of it already off the top, but some guests who are here in person, others who will magically appear on the big screen behind us. Abraham Levitan, our musical improviser extraordinaire, will factor into
2: the show in a major way, especially during... Oh, brother, Massacre Theater. <laughs> you know, I, I tweeted that I was practicing Massacre Theater in the shower. I really was. Oh, I, I've I'm, been practicing I'm ready. It a lot, I'm ready. Which usually means bad results when it's too rehearsed,
3: but don't worry. Don't worry, this will be a train wreck. It will, be, it will be an absolute massacre, and we can't wait. That's all coming later in the show. Again, just a big thank you to everybody for taking part in all the idiocy that happens on film spotting, our death matches, whether you're participating in our marathons or whatever poll question it is, and your feedback and your top five suggestions. It really does drive everything we do on the show, and we thought it was a great year. I dare say you guys took it to a whole nother level. (laughs) A little inside joke to get started. I don't think you can say that, Adam. (laughs) Real quick again, the structure of tonight's event. Six categories, moments when movies reminded us why we love doing This, why we love going to movies and talking about movies. Scott Tobias, who we are going to hear from later, he mentioned on our Top Ten of the Year roundtable that we're being transported. When movies really transport you. And we're going to talk about the moments that made us laugh, that made us cry, that uh, were just great music moments. And, of course, get into some spectacle. Just pure cinematic spectacle with our favorite action scenes as well. And we'll end with our Scenes of the Year. Josh, are we ready? I think we are. Okay, let's begin At the beginning, our favorite opening scenes of 2015, which scenes did you consider? Which movies?
2: Well, Spike Lee had two films out this year, and both had really great opening credit sequences, De Sweet Blood of Jesus and Chirac. Now, Chirac's is more of an actual opening scene, so that's the one I thought about. It's also the far better movie for this category. It has the lyrics to Nick Cannon's Pray for My City, which, against all odds, is also pretty good. Uh, and they, they're they bursting across the scene, these big letters of the actual Rap. And I think that really captures the in-your-face confrontation that the movie ends up being. So I did consider that for this list. And that's the only one? Well, I considered more, but that's good for now.
3: Okay, if you've been to these live shows before, you know how it usually works. Josh is very succinct and concise and eloquent and gets his little spiel done about 30 seconds, and I babble forever. So I'm, I'm going to try. The guy who
2: always says these are going to be done in two hours. <laughs>
3: it's going to be. It's going to be. I promise. I have a few more scenes that I considered. There were just too many good ones from this year. Did anybody see 99 Homes? Ramin Barani's film, I don't think enough people saw it. A really good movie, Michael Shannon, Andrew Garfield. The opening scene of that at this foreclosure gone bad, it's an eviction scene. That's how it opens, and you just see a bathroom, and you see a man sort of slumped over, but you can't identify who he is, and then we get the camera moving out of the bathroom. It's one long take as it then gets to Rick Carver, who's the Michael Shannon character, as he goes out of the house, and the police are kind of asking him some questions about what happened, and it sets the tone for the entire film. Really stunning take. Queen of Earth is a movie I didn't care for all that much from this year, but that opening sequence with Elizabeth Moss, that close-up for about two and a half minutes. Just on her face. Yeah, just on her face. She gets more and more distraught. Why are you doing this to me? Is pretty intense, and she ends up looking by the end of it with the red nose and her makeup smeared. She ends up looking like the, the clown figure, the way her face is drawn in the poster for the movie. Bridge of Spies, the Spielberg movie, that opening chase where you see Mark Rylance playing the spy Rudolf Abel, and you feel like he's just going about his day, and it's wordless, there's no dialogue, and it's a very quiet scene where Spielberg really did, by design, just try to let the rhythms and the sounds of New York City be the soundtrack, and it's only as you get more and more into it, you know, you really realize that he's being trailed, and that he might be up to something nefarious, and it's pretty wonderful. Spotlight, another movie, too, obviously, that's gotten a lot of a lot of great buzz throughout the year, but that opening sequence with Father Gagan, it's set in the past, the only sequence I believe that we see from the past. Father Gagan is a character who's going to factor into a lot of the conversations later in the investigation of the Boston Globe, but we see him at a police station and a family who is reporting an incident, and you just see how the police kind of sweep it all under the rug the cop the sequence ends with the policeman just kind of sort of standing outside smoking a cigarette watching the priest get in the car and it's it's a microcosm of the entire film the way the whole neighborhood and all these people who had the power to stop something that they should have just let it keep on going so those are some of the ones i strongly considered but in the end i did have one i liked even better josh and and we're going to get to them we are we're going to get to them do you i think if i stop talking do you have anything you want to say to set up your scenes
2: well, I know that the contributor who was able to provide a video for us with his book, with his pick, the New York Times Mikado Murphy, he has the same pick as me. So he obviously has great taste. And I, I think we're going to go ahead and see We that. are,
3: yeah. Mikado Murphy, he's the senior movies editor at the New York Times. If you ever go to the New York Times website and you see those great pieces where they're kind of like director's commentaries, they pick a scene and they have a filmmaker narrate what they were trying to do with the scene. They actually just posted one Mikado did with Stephen Cohn, the Chicago filmmaker, a scene from his recent movie, Henry Gamble's Birthday Party. Great stuff. And he's been a longtime listener and supporter of the show. He's been here at Mainstage, come in from New York City. In fact, I saw the movie Brick with him. Back in 2005 in New York, when I was just out there on a trip, and we didn't know each other at all, but we met up and went and saw that film. So we wanted to feature him, and he does indeed have a good pick for his opening scene as well. Let's get to the clips.
4: Hi, Adam and Josh. It's Mikado from New York. I just wanted to share with you my favorite opening scene from 2015, and it's from David Robert Mitchell's horror movie *It Follows*. It's this wonderful one take sequence where the camera is set up right in the middle of a suburban block, and The camera starts to pan around the neighborhood until it gets to this one house where a girl runs out the front door wearing high heels, no less. Who is this girl? What is she running from? The fact that the movie doesn't immediately establish these things creates this sense of mystery and dread that sets the tone for the film and and gives you a preview of the kind of movie that this is going to be. One without a whole lot of easy answers, one that is thought-provoking, and one that's definitely very unsettling. And that just makes for fascinating cinema to me. So that's my pick. Thanks guys.
5: Hey, are you okay? Yeah. You need some help? No.
6: Annie, what are you doing? I'm fine, Dad. 100, 50, 55, and 38 cents. There's yours, that's, that's mine. Is there anything else that we can do for you today?
4: Uh, yeah, actually. Alright, uh, what would that be? I'd like to take advantage of your free checking promotional. I'm sorry, well, what's... The sign on the window says you get $50 right. if you open a free checking account.
6: Well, there are stipulations. <laughs> you know, you can't just uh, close one account and open up another one. Why not? Well, first of all, it doesn't apply to employees. I'm temp. Well, then, uh, do you know that you need your checking account to stay open for six months, or else there's a penalty?
4: Well, there wasn't a penalty when you just closed mine. And how long was it open? Today, I happen to be celebrating the six month anniversary of opening that account. <laughs>
6: Come on. Come on. You... This is a waste of my time. Not
1: mine. You know you work for us? I'm a temp. It doesn't look good.
6: There's also a minimum deposit required to be eligible for the promotion.
4: Well, I happen to have $255.38 right here.
6: Can I ask you once again what was wrong with your original checking account? It's irrelevant. So you're just trying to cheat the system? Absolutely.
3: So two very different long takes there,
2: John. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, I think think Mikado said it best uh, as far as the It Follows opening goes. He talked about the mystery, and there's real mystery there. And it wasn't until watching it again just now I realized one element of that is that she's offered help twice and uh, says, no, do you need some help? No. And in a horror film, usually we get to the point where the person being chased Gets it or meets some sort of help. But have we often seen it where help is there? But why is she saying no? And so from that point on, I mean, you you want to figure out what's going to happen in the following scene. But I want to hear how did Buzzard, I mean, I'm a film I love quite a bit. How did that scene top the It Follows scene? What about it? it? I don't
3: know that it topped it, but I I do overall appreciate Buzzard more as a movie. I do like the, the dichotomy there, the two different uses of the camera just staying on Joshua Burge, the actor playing the main character there in Buzzard. He... He's the only guy we see, and he's the only guy we really need to see, because as we get through the movie, you're going you're gonna to realize that that's pretty much how he views everybody that he encounters with these, these scams. They are nameless, faceless people to him, and he has that line at one point about how it's irrelevant. The, the details of this and the ethics of it to him are, are really ultimately irrelevant, just as he is, but I just think it's hilarious. Unlike your scene, which is completely creepy, and I think during our review, I mentioned how, as a father, I put myself in in that position, thinking about that helplessness of, of trying to help your son or daughter and not being able to to do it, not even understanding what's going on. So it's a great scene. But I love this one because it's hilarious. I love the performance. I love the insolence and just the absolute refusal to feel any shame for his actions. Oh, I, mean, utter I, think, yeah. I mean, I think all of us, maybe it's just me, have at one point in our lives, whether we're younger or older, we've, we've tried to pull off something that we knew we shouldn't be doing. And we were trying to slide it by, but I'm not good at it because I can't act. So I inevitably just go, "Okay, yeah, I'm 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 wrong here." You know what? Forget it. And and I try to get out of it. He's just determined. He's completely determined the whole time. He's yeah, not going to let anything two shake levels him. there. It's that he's even going to try this. Yeah. and that he doesn't care that no, the guy knows he doesn't what care. he's no. And when he pole. says it doesn't matter, that that kind of sums up his yep. his outlook on life. But he also says it with just that hint of menace that I think. Well, obviously it does if you've seen the movie, it comes out more and more as we get through the film. So it follows in Buzzard. I think two two pretty good opening scenes there. And thank you, Mikado, for your contribution. That brings us to our favorite. Moving moments is what we're calling it. We could say the movies and the moments that made us cry. But, Josh, did you actually have any scenes that made you tear up this year?
2: You know, I'm, not a, I'm just not a huge crier at the movies. I do it, but not that Debbie, often. So is this it's, true? It's, it's true. Is he it's trying true. to act macho up here? At the movies at home, I'm just, you know, blubbering all over. <laughs> but I think that my litmus test then isn't going to be tears, but maybe just lumps in the throat. The, the moments that give you that. And uh, make you really feel that direct emotional connection to whatever is going on in this on the screen. So that's what these scenes caused that I considered. And one of them, I, I would never have expected, but the one I did almost make as my pick comes from Trainwreck, and it's the climactic cheerleading scene, which I know some people, <laughs> I know some people have trouble with. It's great. It moved me. Not to tears, not to tears, but here's one thing that's cool about it. It's the girl wooing the guy, and now I've never been a cheerleader guy, okay? That just didn't do it for me. So the fact that using that element, which I'm inherently like, oh, you know, cheerleaders, I don't know, but yet it's managed to generate real emotion in the context of the story, I think that really says something, at least that it worked that way for me. A little bit of a different film. Tangerine, Yeah. How many of you caught up with the Golden Brick nominee, Tangerine? Excellent. Good. I'm, re- I'm really glad because then you're probably wondering right now why this isn't my actual pick. But that ending scene is such a grace note uh, to such a wrenching movie in a lot of ways. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about our burgeoning friendship, Adam. I'd, I'd lend you my wig any day. <laughs>
3: Well, I want to note for the record that not all of us here are averse to cheerleaders. Sorry, Josh. I mean, some of us are cheerleader That's friendly, fine. okay? I mean, I just don't want to, All yours. I don't want to be excluding anyone here. Uh, for me, I thought about a lot the movie Brooklyn. So many moments from that film. Saoirse Ronan's so good there. The look of silence. The, the moment, there's this bonding moment between the interviewer and the daughter of one of the murderers he's investigating, who's sitting right next to his daughter in that scene. How about uh, Cinderella? In the, the yeah, blue dress. Lily James emerging in the gown at the Prince's Ball. Pitch Perfect 2, everybody. The Bella's final performance. I got chills. I still get chills when I watch Pitch Perfect. The, the Are you book. being honest? I'm being totally honest. Chills. I get chills every time. Every time the little nod of the breakfast club does it to me, Josh. And then it got way dusty in the theater during the finale in Pitch Perfect 2. I finally did catch up with Room, everybody. And... There's a, a one line, I'll simply say, I don't want to spoil anything, but I love you, Grandma, is the line, and it's the the little boy in that movie expressing love for an outsider for the first time. Um, the Diary of a Teenage Girl, The Phone Booth Collapse. I, I don't know if many people got a chance to see this one. It's one of our Golden Brick nominees. Great movie, but not out on DVD yet, not available on, on demand or any other platforms, really, but there's a moment where Belle Polly, the main character, after she finally has this moment of clarity about yeah, all these things she's her. been you know, kind of doing wrong and putting herself in really bad, compromising positions, she finally just collapses in a phone booth, and the heaviness of that moment really did take my breath away. Inside Out, when sadness takes control, finally, of Riley, near the end of that film, and she returns home, and I'm with you on Tangerine completely, the laundromat scene, the end of that long chaotic day, and Cindy and Alexandra, they, they take off their wigs, and and the, the brazenness of that, the honesty and the moment of loyalty it reflects in those two friends really is uh, something pretty astonishing. So that brings us to our final picks, the movies, the moments that we really thought were the most moving. Do you want to set these up? I think we may need to with these Yeah, clips. probably
2: just a little bit so they're not out of context. Though mine comes from a film I'm pretty sure everyone here has seen, Inside Out. So it's just going to be that moment. Uh, after Bing Bong's beloved rocket wagon has been dropped into the memory dump. And as I'm reading that, I'm just realizing if you haven't seen Inside Out, you're really confused.
3: (laughs) Well, mine is from uh, a little movie that, Josh, I know you just unfortunately caught up with because you didn't have the same reaction I did, but it's the Lily Tomlin movie Grandma, and it's the Sam Elliott scene. Just one of my favorite scenes of the entire year. Lily Tomlin is a grandmother. She's trying to help her granddaughter, who is played by Julia Garner, and she has gotten pregnant from her boyfriend, and she is seeking an abortion and has no money. And her grandmother is trying to help her. And as a last resort, she goes to see someone who she was once in a relationship with. We don't know any of the details really, and of course, we're only watching a snippet of this, so that's why I wanted to set it up a little bit, but even as viewers watching the prelude to what you're about to see, we're just thrown right into the history of this relationship and into this kind of mess. And unlike the granddaughter who they actually kick out at one point, we get to or we have to stay there in the room and watch it all unfold. So let's check out those scenes.
0: Hey, it's going to be okay. We can fix this. We just need to get back to headquarters. Which way to the train station?
1: I had a whole trip planned for us.
0: Hey, who's ticklish, huh? Here comes the tickle monster! Hey, Bing Bong, look at this! Oh, here's a fun game. You point to the train station and we all go there! Won't that be fun? Come on, let's go to the train station! I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved. It's gone forever. Sadness, don't make him feel worse. Sorry. It's all I had left of Riley. I bet you and Riley had great adventures. Oh, they were wonderful. Once we flew back in time, we had breakfast twice that day. Sadness!
7: It sounds amazing. I bet Riley liked it.
0: Oh, she did. We were best friends. (laughs) Yeah. It's sad. <laughs> I'm okay now. Come on, the train station is this way.
1: It's painful
0: seeing you L. What the hell kind of thing is that to say to a woman?
1: I don't just popped into my head. Maybe I'm getting soft. Male menopause, maybe.
0: Yeah, oh, you're well past menopause. We both are.
1: It's painful seeing you. Because it makes me feel old.
0: Oh, I like being old. Young people are
1: stupid. We sure were. We sure were stupid.
0: So, can you loan me the money? Sure. Okay.
1: I want something in return, though. What? What do you want? A kiss.
0: Uh Uh You mean like a peck?
1: No, like a kiss. A real kiss.
0: And then you loan me the the money? Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh
0: Let's get it over
2: with. (sighs) Okay, we'll we'll get to Grandma. First, though... (laughs) Sam, you really look good as Joy. I mean, that—that's nice job on the costuming there. If Amy Poehler's not available, <laughs> um, those candy tears, though, for me—I mean, no, I don't often cry, Adam. When I do, I cry candy tears. <laughs> uh, I think they're crucial. It's just such a brilliant concept. Yes, Pixar always does to, to come up with something like that because it's so crucial to this movie that's all about making room for both sweetness and sorrow, um, often in the same exact moment, which is what that's doing. And I think that cut to the candy tears are you know just quick enough. They don't dwell on it too long, just remind you and, and get you to see those again. So I love how that all comes together and that scene from Inside Out. But Grandma, yeah, is, is a movie... We are actually debating it on the way down quite a bit. And... Um, you know, it it's I was so looking forward to it and rooting for Lily Tomlin. And I'd say for me, maybe it's uneven in that Not all the scenes work as well as that one does, but I'll give it to you that that one, the two of them um, just being that tight, close together, Mm -hmm. and negotiating all the past and the present at the same time time does really work well. I definitely like the movie a lot more than you do based on your comments, but I
3: don't think there's anything in that film as good as that 10-minute sequence or so that they have together, and that kiss is certainly not the culmination of that scene at all. In fact, that's just really the beginning of, of the real dramatic fireworks, and a little bit of an odd choice, for me, as a moving moment, because no, it never brought me close to tears, even at all, like some of the other scenes may have, but in terms of a scene that took me on the biggest eventful roller coaster journey it 's that scene, and that 's where we kind of disagree. You think actually Paul Whites, the writer and director, is maybe trying to shoehorn too many elements into it. I think it's a wonder that he shoehorned as many elements into it as he did as succinctly as perfectly as he did in the acting there, Sam Elliott. That's my favorite bit of acting in all of cinema this year is Sam Elliott in that scene. And what really does it for me where that roller coaster begins is immediately you're on her side because you don't know this guy at all. And he's Sam Elliott, so he's a little bit, you know, you love him, but also he's he's a little bit mysterious and a little bit scary. And you're on her side and then as that conversation goes on, your allegiances shift. You're still with her through that kiss part because one thing if you haven't seen it wouldn't be clear necessarily, but she's a lesbian, and he knows that, so that kiss is a big thing to ask for, but after that that moment happens, that's when the real history really comes out, and you find yourself not only rooting for Sam Elliott, but just ultimately recognizing that they're both really damaged people who have really hurt each other, and there's a lot of healing that needs to happen. So for me, it felt like a 10-minute scene that had enough of an arc to it. It felt like a three-act play, which I can't say that about very many scenes in in films or single sequences that felt like they were they were really their own individual plays. So for me, Grandma, whether I convinced you or not, Josh, that is my scene for the most moving moment of the year. We will get to the 2015 moments that made us cry with laughter in just a bit. But first, Massacre Theater. It's the part
2: of the show where we perform a scene. You get a chance at winning a prize. Now, back on our top ten films of 2015 roundtable, Adam and I, along with Michael Phillips and Scott Tobias, we massacred this scene.
5: Well, I'll confess something that none of you know about me. I have a lot of sex. Yeah, we know Stacy. Only because I just told you.
8: This is a good idea. That was a pretty
6: bad example, but this is a good idea. Why don't we all
8: go around the room and we can all say something about ourselves that nobody else knows. Okay. I got something. This is hard for me to admit to you guys. I think we all know where this is going. Let's be honest. Mm. Well, for the last two years, I've had a serious gambling problem. What? What? It started when I broke up with my girlfriend. Whoop!
0: There it is!
8: I've never been one of those girls who had a
0: lot of friends who were girls. And I do now. And that's pretty cool. So that's me. Someone else please go
2: chills, Adam, chills. How dare you? That was Anna Kendrick with the other members of the Barden Bellas in that scene from 2012's. What, what is scene? it? What, what is film? It? Pitch Perfect. You got it. Written by Kay Cannon, directed by Jason Moore. Of course, Pitch Perfect 2. This is kind of a surprise. It was conspicuously absent from your top 10 films of 2015 <laughs> list. I've got to believe, Adam, it had to have been better than While We're Young. How dare you again? No. no.
3: But, but it, was in, it was in contention. I just didn't want to be made fun of again like you're making fun of me now. I was, I was too sensitive, Josh. Cody Keplinger from New York, New York wrote in, I am both pleased and embarrassed to admit that I knew immediately that the scene was from Pitch Perfect, and that's in spite of Josh's Australian accent? I hesitate to even call it that, but regardless, I am the cliched 20-something female who knows this dialogue nearly by heart, even when it's delivered by a group of men who definitely are not Anna Kendrick or Rebel Wilson. As for tie-ins, I'm not creative enough to come up with much, besides the fact that Pitch Perfect is utterly charming, as was the Film Spotting Top Ten panel. Yes, after my dig at Josh, I'm now
2: attempting flattery, looking forward to another awesome year of Film Spotting. Well, thank you. Tyler Michael from Cleveland said the tie-in is that in Pitch Perfect, we get to watch a group of young girls come together and have fun, fight, and be funny. Listening to Film Spotting, we get to listen to a group of old dudes come together and have fun, (laughs) fight, and be funny, how, did, I love that, how did that make it into the script? How did we let Who's that go? Who's monitoring these things? Wow. I love you, Pitches, Tyler says. Keep up the good
3: work on the show. Aviv Rubenstein in L.A. It's a Christmas miracle. Adam got to fulfill his fantasy of being Anna Kendrick and Pitch Perfect. <laughs> <sighs> it gave me chills
2: doing the scene. <laughs> <laughs> now if he only had the pipes. So true. So true. One more note here from Andre Cadu. He's in Charlottesville, Virginia. Even Josh's unidentifiable impression of Fat Amy didn't throw me off. I didn't realize it should have been Australian until Adam mentioned it. It's a good thing you did that. I will say I was disappointed that no one used their female voices. Adam, where was your patented falsetto? It's coming. It's coming.
3: Yeah, we're going to get to falsetto. You can hear Scott Tobias out of the line, I have a lot of sex, on part two of our top (laughs) ten films of the year. Both parts are available at filmspotting.net or via iTunes. Those are episodes 567 and 568. Josh, the hat isn't as brimming as I would have liked. I'm really disappointed more people didn't recognize that scene. I'm going to blame it on your Australian accent. I take full blame. That was brutal. Reach into the totally existent film spotting hat right in front of you and pick out this week's winner. The winner is... Chris Berkheimer from San Marcos, Texas. Congratulations, Chris. Email feed. Yeah, give him some applause. I think Chris has been listening since at least 2009, entering Massacre Theatre, so good to see he won it. Congratulations, Chris. Email feedback at filmspotting.net. You can claim your very own Filmspotting T-shirt.
9: <clears throat> Picture a scene acted out in between The rest of this fine show Adam and Josh are completely awash in acting chops, you know. It's massacre, M A S S A C R E theater. It's massacre if you don't like what you see, you're a hater. It's massacre, you'll laugh so hard your abdomen might be hurt. It's massacre if you guess right, then you might win a t shirt.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Abraham. Okay. Well, I brought a prop with me to cover up what's about to happen. So I don't even know where to start with this, Josh. I, I can say that. If Let's start a long with time, who we should blame it on. Sam Van In Holden. advance, okay. Yeah, we'll blame Sam. This was his idea, and it's just a good thing that being able to sing was not a requirement. For being a film spotting host. If you've been a long-time listener, you know we've had a few different musical massacre theaters over the years, and they've all been pretty terrible. We can't sing. We just can't sing. Abraham can, fortunately. And I think that Sam just thought that it would be maximum embarrassment, and it would be maximum fun if we took advantage of Abraham being on stage, and we massacred a scene that had a musical flavor to it. So I'm going to apologize in advance to all the dogs in the neighborhood. <laughs> and you know what? I'll, I'll tell you this, too. This... We usually try to find scenes that have some connection to the show. As far as I can tell, there's absolutely none. No, I thought of one.
2: You thought of one? Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's save it. Yeah, you should know it. Considering your top ten list, that's the only clue I'm going to get. Okay,
3: well, not a a surprise I'm missing something obvious, Josh. But I guess we're we're ready. So basically, the base... I think we've tried to delay this long enough. (laughs) I will say, yeah, I really am just stalling here completely. The base is actually not part of the scene. But I told them the only way I was going to do this was if I got to play the bass. So, you know, and they didn't argue with me too strenuously. So, Abraham, are we ready? Actually, Josh starts it off.
9: I'm I'm so excited to do this with you guys.
3: Yeah, and I was hoping I was he really is. He's being genuine. I was hoping that when I called him and told him this is what we were doing, he would say, "That's a terrible idea." Instead, he said, "I love this scene. It's the best idea you've ever had. We have to do it." And he's not even going to play along with it. It's going to be a cappella. So here we go. Josh, are you ready?
2: Yes. And action. All right, gang, let's really nail it this time. Here we go. A one, a two. A one, two, three, four.
9: Ba 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 Ba
0: Ba she, she got, got a
3: smile that, that it seems to me Reminds me of childhood
2: memories Where everything was as fresh as, as, fresh as a bright blue sky Alright, Tommy, you're the oldest. I'm counting on you. Come on. She got eyes of the bluest skies As if they thought
9: of rain I hate to look into those
0: eyes And see
2: that's Nice that vibrato, buddy. Alright, alright, Alice, let's go.
0: Her hair reminds flat. me of a warm, safe place. So flat. Where as I a
8: can't even. I'd I'd I don't even
2: know. You don't even look good when you're the singing. The worst thing the I've ever heard. $1,200 a week for voice pass lessons, and this me by. is what I get. Okay, I'm going to save it with a solo.
0: Bow, bow. I'm daring. And I can sing high like this. And I can sing high. Yeah. Oh.
9: <laughs> you guys like, didn't seem nervous at all.
2: No, just got lost in the role. Hmm. I think like once the you get up vocal, here, it's all labor. Uh, blur. Coach.
3: I won't even know that that happened for about an hour. So... <laughs> If I'm going to know credit know uh, film...
2: my uh, vocal coach, Adam Levine.
3: <laughs> exactly. He was, he
2: was an inspiration.
3: <laughs> I felt it. If you know what film we just massacred. How many people know what film we just massacred? <laughs> Love it. Email the movie's title along with your name and location to feedback at filmspotting.net. You know, real quick, though, I was having some, some bad flashbacks there because that, that berating I took, that's what recording is like with Josh. You know, he's like, tens of thousands of listeners, this is all I get? It, it's constant, but, you know, I powered through. Your deadline is Monday,
2: January 25th. The winner will be selected randomly from all the correct entries and announced in a couple of weeks. To get official massacre theater rules, visit
0: filmspotting.net.
3: And with that, if we've come down from that, to keep the laughs coming as we get back to our categories, the funniest scene of 2015, to help us out with that one, we're going to bring a special guest to the stage. You know her from her frequent appearances on Film Spotting, of course, formerly of the A.V. Club, of The Dissolve, and now one of the co-hosts of the Next Picture Show podcast. She's also the film critic for The Verge. Let's welcome to the stage Tasha Robinson. Tasha <laughs> Robinson. All right, Tasha, it's great to have you, as it's always.
7: great to be here. Uh, I, first of all, I cannot follow that up. <laughs> Second of all, I just changed my mind about the funniest scene of the year. If I say it was what just happened on the stage, will I get to see it again on the screen? It's, <laughs> Let's hope not. Totally Tyler, can no. we make
3: that happen? No. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you approve. So, Tasha, you're going to kick us off here. Give us some of your contenders. What were some of your nominees, if you will, for your funniest scene of the year?
7: You know, it's funny. um, One of the funniest movies of the year for me turned out to be The Martian, which is not technically a comedy. Best uses of the
3: F word, for sure.
7: (laughs) But, I mean, that movie is is hilariously funny because it has so many terrific lines that are so well delivered um, in places to relieve tension. Apart from The Martian, though, this was a really great year for women-led comedy, um, both kind of mixed uh, comedy dramas like Grandma, which I'm 100% with you on. and I knew and it was a reading. good idea
3: to bring her up.
2: <laughs> he, Another he plant.
7: Me, he pulled me beforehand to see who I'd be scooting next to. <laughs> um, and, you know, more pure, like, women-centric, women-led comedies like Spy and uh, Trainwreck and Sisters and Grandma and on, just on and on and on. Um, so I'm going to feel like a complete traitor when I say this, but... Most of my funniest, like, favorite comedy scenes of the year involved huge dudes making complete fools out of themselves.
3: (laughs) We go with Pitch Perfect 2?
7: Pitch Perfect 2 (laughs) is really high on my list. Uh, The the Green Bay Packers coming out and doing Bootylicious. Yeah. It's on my list. I've watched that so many times. (laughs) If if you could wear a thin place in YouTube by looping back and watching something (laughs) over and over, there would be a hole in everybody's computers right now. Um... There was that. There was uh, John Cena's incredibly awkward sex scene in uh, Trainwreck. So good. Um, gosh, I'm going blank as I knew I would. I oh. had
2: it too, so that was, yeah, he's an honorable mention for me.
7: Absolutely anything that comes out of uh, Jason Statham's mouth in Spy. Yes. Whenever he's, it's, when you, when you get somebody who can actually turn Melissa McCarthy into the straight man in the show. That's a good point, huh? That is just, it's such an amazing thing. And she starts doing the Jonah Hill thing where she's just sitting there, like, completely dour, saying, I don't think that's true. I don't see how that could happen. Now I think you're exaggerating. And he's talking about, I tore this, this arm off and sewed it back on with that arm. Um, And there's one more scene involving huge beefy dudes making fools out of themselves, but I'm not going to spoil that for the audience, because I think we're going to hear about that one again.
2: Josh, what about you? She took mine. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Those two scenes of the guys, the supporting players in Trainwreck and then in um, yeah, in Spy, it's almost like one of them is playing off their persona in John Cena and uh, Jason Statham is like burrowing really deeply into it in a place that's just absolutely ridiculous. That is an
7: unfortunate metaphor, given what's going on in that scene. That's true. Burrowing I really deep into it, I didn't, I didn't ridiculous think about
2: place. that. I don't know where your mind is, Tasha. but Yeah, well, you've got mine. I was trying to over-prepare for this, as I
3: usually do, and come up with all these great scenes, and I realized that all I wanted to do was just... Read the lines, all my favorite lines from all these really funny movies. And of course, I recognize that that would be not that much fun for everybody. So I'm just going to list for you the movies that I thought were the funniest this year. And all of them have 10 to 20 moments that really crack me up. You already saw a little bit of Buzzard, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. That (laughs) vampire documentary from New Zealand is pretty incredible. The Big Short, of course, my favorite movie of the year. The two Noah Baumbach movies, While We're Young and Mistress America. The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Inside Out, we've already covered My Beloved Pitch Perfect 2, and I think that's it. I think that's the last mention of the movie for this evening. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. And then we've well covered it, but Trainwreck, all the scenes with John Cena in particular, but there's lots of good ones. Watching it for the second time, all the scenes with Tilda Swinton. I mean, she was funny to begin with, but then the other coworkers and their little asides in those pitch meetings were even funnier the second time. So for me, though, it's really the I look like Mark Wahlberg, ate Mark Wahlberg, The movie theater confrontation with the other patron that is my probably funniest scene in that movie. So those are all the contenders. We're going to see what ultimately made the cut as our favorite funniest scenes of the year. Do you guys want to set them up at all, Tasha?
7: Um, I think mine maybe needs a little setup because there are apparently a couple people in the the room that haven't seen Inside Out and just got a a bit of it spoiled for them. Um, We're going to spoil another part of it. Uh, if, if you watch Inside Out, you spend like nearly two hours in the heart of this little girl seeing these five emotions and how they play against each other. And it's very emotional. There are, there are laughs, there are tears, it's back and forth. But you see very little of what goes on in other people's heads except just enough to realize it's going on everywhere else as well. And then the movie ends after this heartfelt, heartbreaking moment. It's like, let's send him out on a laugh.
2: Yeah, mine is uh, pretty self-explanatory. It sounds like a lot of people have seen what we do in the shadows, so uh, you'll pick up on this right away. And Tasha, you did perfectly set up my pick. I don't need
3: to say anything else.
0: Now, when you get out there, you be aggressive. I know, Dad. I'm not too aggressive. You know, you guys don't have to come to every game.
1: Are you kidding? I'm not missing one. Go, fuckers! Fox- go, oh! Riley! Okay, okay, I, I gotta go. Yay!
4: They love us. Yeah, mom and dad are pretty cool. Guys,
7: of course they are. But we can't show it.
4: She yeah! loved the face painting. Told you it was a great idea.
7: Best idea he's had in a
1: while. He's a really good guy. Just in case. Oh. Uh,
0: sorry. Girl. Girl.
1: Peter's room. I'm just going to wake him up.
6: Peter. Peter.
0: Peter, wake up.
3: Hey, listen, we're just having a flat meeting upstairs in about ten minutes... You don't have to come, but I thought I'd extend an invitation to you, just in case.
10: There's
3: um, <laughs> a lot of stuff on the floor down here, Peter.
0: Like this. Things, I don't, oh, it's a spinal column. Yeah.
3: And I was thinking maybe I should just bring a broom down here for you if
6: you wanted to sweep up some of the skeletons.
0: I
3: don't know. You know,
7: maybe... Okay. Got to use this chicken. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, that, uh, that magic mic clip. I think that was Sam's first suggestion for Masker Theater. And then we realized not quite enough dialogue. So, um, Inside out, though, Tasha, I mean, it, it's a great pick because it does capture what's so amazing about Pixar is that easily could have been a most moving moment clip as well. Uh, but there were so many good jokes in it. So why did you go the humor angle for making it your pick
5: well it really
7: goes on from there the The scene it just keeps building and building and building and after all of the things that you've been through in that movie I mean the movie is fundamentally about understanding and accepting why sadness is necessary so it's almost like they feel at the end well okay but we also have to acknowledge that funny is good too yeah. and then they come back so hard with the funny as that, that scene just keeps building at the end
2: well, for me, for what we do in the shadows, I, I think that, um, you know, Taika Waititi, who we saw there waking up his vampire flatmates, um, I think he gives the best performance in the film. That's like, he's an actual full character whose story you're interested in. Better than Peter? Well, Peter's I mean, probably my favorite character, though. There you go. I, I mean, he's played by Ben Francham doing just, you know, this awesome Nosferatu. It's just so, I love all the inspirations they have for their characters, and talk about deadpan performances. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't get more dead than that. Uh, but it's scary, too, right? <laughs> Isn't yeah. it scary? Come on.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I'm glad you say that, Josh, because, yeah, it, it seemed like it made everyone jump a little bit. It made me jump when I mm-hmm. watched it for the first time. It made me jump when I was pulling the scene or watching it again the other day. And that that Nosferatu image is the, the image, that vampire image that basically from age 5 to about <clears throat> 25 made it very hard for me to sleep alone at night so you know watching it again just the the audacity of that uh, after seeing all these characters these modern vampires uh then see that old school image of peter was was hilarious and that movie was just on the other night i was i was watching it to see what other scenes really stood out how about the scene where the police officers show up and they're like oh would you look at this and it's like a character's floating and they're looking at the smoke alarms you know how they don't work it's and the, just the hilarious. street
7: meetup up with the werewolves. Oh, yeah. That, that goes into <laughs> Werewolves, the- not swearwolves. <laughs> <Not> swearwolves.
3: <laughs> Remember. So, Magic Mike, what, what do I need to say about Magic Mike XXL? Nothing. Obviously a strong contender for another category coming up, my favorite music moment of the year, but at the end of the day, I just realized that that was the scene that made me laugh the most from start to finish. And, you know, I don't know, how many, how many people have seen Magic Mike XXL? Great. So... You know, what I love about that scene is it's it's hilarious, but it's also so great because it's, representative of the entire film. You see the, the friends there who are cheering him on outside. That scene is all about what the whole movie's about, which is about self-expression, about having the confidence to actually go outside your comfort zone to put on a show, to do something artistic that you normally wouldn't do. The argument they were having before the scene was that the, the Joe Manganiello character is a guy who just wants to keep doing the same striptease routine that the women love over and over again, and Channing Tatum is one who urges him to try something different. And when he walks in, and they kind of make a little bet, and then Backstreet Boys come on, which it had been set up earlier that he was a huge fan of theirs. So as soon as I Want It That Way comes on, you know we might give in to the moment and the music, and he does. So that, that moment, again, kind of a, a perfect scene for what that whole film is about, but it's also about that, the relationship between those guys. So those cutaways are also really important. So Magic Mike XXL, my funniest moment of the year. Thank you, everyone, for approving of our scenes. It sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like that worked. Tasha? Thank you so much for your contributions. As always, you're the best.
7: Thank you for having me, as always.
3: Tasha Robinson, everybody.
2: Time to take a (laughs) break, I think. Yeah, it's time to take a break. All right. When we come back, we'll have more things we loved about 2015, plus the 2015 Golden Brick Award winner. Maybe a few more guests as well. Before we get to all that, though, here is
3: Abraham with a musical recap of all the hijinks you just heard.
9: This is some Justin Bieber for all you millennials. (laughs) For opening scenes, well Josh picked just one. But Adam rambled, I thought he'd never get done. <laughs> it follows showed lots of wide open space. Whereas Buzzard only showed one dude's face. <laughs> now Josh doesn't cry. But sometimes well his throat just gets too lumpin' when candy tears start pumping. <laughs> In the other chair Adam, well now He just ain't resisting Scenes with grandma's kissing A great year for women But Tasha liked huge dudes <laughs> And ultimately went With some parents painted blue I was so caught up in my scene On my cappella cruise But now I know These hosts have nothing left to lose, so if you liked the scenes you saw that much, well, maybe see the movies for themselves. I'm thinking that last scene was maybe the first time I moved to go and watch Magic Mike XXL. Abraham Levitan,
8: everybody.
3: Adam here again with a quick reminder about our sponsors this week. And in the next part of this podcast, you are going to hear from our live show, our announcement of the Golden Brick winner for 2015. Some of these great contenders like Marielle Heller for Diary of a Teenage Girl, Joel Patrikas for Buzzard, Sean Baker for Tangerine. Maybe you have aspirations to be a filmmaker like Heller or Patrykis, or Sean Baker, and need a little bit of guidance, the Vermont College of Fine Art MFA and Film might be the program for you with their two-year student design, project-driven grad programs that allows for professional mentorships. It's going to guide your script, whether it's fiction or nonfiction filmmaking. It's exciting, affordable, and intense, and will help you refine your creative vision and help you develop personal stories. Visit VCFA.edu slash film. We're also brought to you by audible.com, of course, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 180,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction and periodicals. Just like podcasts, audiobooks are great to listen to when you're stuck in traffic or you're at the gym or you are working on your computer in your cubicle, whatever it is you do cleaning the house. That's where I'm usually listening to audiobooks these days or podcasts. Audiobooks will help you get through that. And for our audience members, audible is offering a free 30-day trial just go to audiblepodcast.com slash film and browse the over 180,000 audio programs just download a title free and start listening It's that easy. And I'll give you a couple recommendations, books that I am currently listening to and have downloaded on Audible, starting with Do You Know Me? This is the memoir of Tony Roberts, the actor who some of you, if you know him, you may remember him as Woody Allen's best friend in a few different of his early films, including Annie Hall. He's the guy who's constantly calling Alvy Singer Max for some random reason. So being a Woody Allen fan that I am. Wanted to hear what Tony Roberts had to say about working with him and just his whole career as an actor. A few months ago, my wife and I went to see David Sedaris do a live reading here in Chicago. He highly recommended the book Family Life by Akil Sharma. Couldn't stop raving about it. I think they were actually even selling it out in the lobby. It's something Sedaris does during all of his live performances. He picks a book on his tour that he's going to highlight and try to spread the word about, and that was the book family life. One more. I will mention The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr, a fascinating read and is very important to me as I'm considering teaching a class on The Art of Memoir, actually, as it relates to cinema next summer. Those are just a few of my audiobook recommendations. There are, of course, so many other great titles to choose from. If you want that free 30-day trial, again, just go to audiblepodcast.com slash filmspot.
5: I'm Linda Holmes. I work at NPR. I write a blog for them, and I'm also the host of Pop Culture Happy Hour. My pick for scene of the year is from the movie Spy, written and directed by Paul Feig. And in this scene, Melissa McCarthy, who plays uh, the spy, is sitting down with her boss, who is played by Allison Janney. And Allison Janney shows her footage that she dug up of Melissa McCarthy's training session in which she kicked, I would say, amber waves of ass all over a bunch of other guys from the uh, government. And the reason she shows for this footage is to demonstrate you were on the way to being a great agent. And the reason I love this scene is not only that McCarthy and Janny are both so funny in it, but that the subversive thing about this movie is that it could have been all about how Melissa McCarthy is just this uh, kind of um, mousy lady who later finds her power. And the premise of this scene is that she always had that power. And that what happened is that she got connected with this agent who's the guy played by Jude Law, who kind of convinced her to live as a helper instead of doing her own thing. So what I love about this scene is that it really uh, accentuates the fact that this movie didn't do any of the really wrong things that it could have done with this character. And that's what makes it one of my favorite movies of the year. A Year, by the way, in which a lot of really popular populist big movies were a lot better than I think people expected them to be, and this, as a kind of broad comedy, is one of them. So that's my pick for scene of the year.
10: What's your deal, Cooper?
5: What do you mean? You got a fiery side? I I really did, in that report,
7: mean to write cunning. I've been going over your files. (laughs) You are top of your class at the academy in all computer and support skills, no surprise there. But you have a certain
0: tame meter around the office. It says you've never even held a gun. So imagine my surprise when I saw footage from this drill back at the farm.
5: Sarah, so, I can't even. that me? I can't really. Ah, stupid gun! Somebody definitely
7: sped this up. Uh, camera angle. Okay. Um, Ouch. Out of context, that's.
0: I must have watched this 15 times now, because what the fuck?
3: (laughs) Welcome back, live from main stage in Chicago, it's Film Spotting. I'm Adam, he's Josh, that was Linda Holmes. Great stuff there. How about a round of applause for Linda and her pick from Spy? On the way here, Josh, I mentioned I, I was looking for any distraction last night to keep me from actually thinking about this show and preparing for it. I threw in Spy because it was a movie I missed and really didn't have any expectations for. It was a movie I was excited to see. and pleasantly surprised. Really funny for a lot of the reasons, of course, that Linda mentioned in that scene. But really funny
2: movie. You did see it and like I it. did see it. I think it's the best use of Melissa McCarthy in quite a while. And uh, I, I just love the titles that show up once we start. We don't always know in advance and uh, what contributors are going to bring. And to be talking about Spy this much tonight has just been a delight.
3: Yeah. Our scenes of the year are still to come. We will also hear from a few of you, hopefully, if you don't get too shy that's all coming up in a little bit but we're going to get back to our categories with our favorite music moment of 2015.
2: Josh kick us off. So it's not really for an honorable mention I thought about one that's not really my kind of music but you have to hand it to that flame throwing guitar player in Mad Max Fury Road. I mean that's a stage that is a stage. Um, I talked about Chirac already there's a great concert scene in there as well And uh, I don't know how many of you have seen Phoenix, but the final song to Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, So those of you who have seen it know that to explain why it's so brilliant would be giving too much away. So those of you who haven't, just go see Phoenix. Well, you totally stole my thunder. There are two endings I didn't want to spoil, and I won't,
3: but Phoenix, and I'll just say Speak Low. And 45 years, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. I know many of you probably haven't seen that movie yet, Charlotte Rampling. Tom Courtney, some of you have. That's great. It's opening here in Chicago. January 22nd, but smoke gets in your eyes. That's all I'm going to say for now. And you really sold my thunder with Mad Max Fury Road. That first glimpse of the Doof Warrior. Let's get it right, Josh. (laughs) And that whole vehicle actually, with actual drummers. You know, the music you assume is coming from the filmmaker laying that down, and then you realize that it's at least supposed to be, uh, coming off to us as if it's actually coming from the movie world. And it's so great to hear those drummers and then come around with that shot, come around that big vehicle and see the guitar player playing and shooting flames. It's it's so absurd and so audacious. And, it, it, and yet, that touch, that George Miller touch of actually having the drummer there and the guitar player there makes it seem authentic, makes mm-hmm. it seem real and really grounds it. It Follows is one I consider that disaster piece score in the opening scene that you played is so good. Did anybody see the movie The Last Five Years, based on the musical? So I'm just an Anna Kendrick completist. I'm sorry. So I had to see The Last Five Years. Unfortunately, Anna Kendrick can't save The Last Five Years. But the opening song, Still Hurting, it's it's really just all on Anna Kendrick. She's Kathy singing about her husband Jamie leaving. Great vocal performance, a great song. Unfortunately, by far the best song in the whole movie. But still, one that stuck out to me. Uh, stuck out to me. Straight out of Compton. Cruising down the street in my 6-4, Jason Mitchell is easy. His first turn on the mic, where he's getting guidance from Dr. Dre, I thought was great. And I already played a moment for Magic Mike XXL, but how about the pony reprise? This is why you need to see this movie, Josh. I know,
2: hey, I'm a big fan of the first one. You I love need to the, get the to pony
3: it. sequence, that dance from Channing Tatum in the first movie. And early in in the sequel, he's working in his shop and the genuine song genuine song comes on, and he just has to give in and move with that song. So that's that's one of my favorite music moments, but not my most favorite. Josh, anything you want to set up before we
2: watch the scenes? Well, we're also going to hear from another contributor who's going to get us started. We have Michael Phillips here, who's going to share his musical moment of 2015. He claims he's very disappointed that he couldn't be with us tonight. Uh, Let's, see. We'll see. So Let's see. So, first, we're going to hear Michael's pick and then guitars.
1: Hey, I'm Michael Phillips, the film critic of the Chicago Tribune and an occasional reluctant guest on Film Spotting. I, uh, I, am, I am sad not to be there today, uh, though, for the live show at the main stage. I, I was there for the last one in 2013, and I think I left a wallet behind. So, Adam, Josh, if you could have everybody, all the guys there today, uh, send your wallets to me, and if, 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 they're not, if, they're, if none of them are mine, I'll send them all back. Uh, would you take care of that for me? Thank you.
3: I don't know, Tyler, is it possible we played
1: the wrong clip from Michael Phillips? Is there another one up there somewhere? My favorite piece of music this year um, comes from a film called Inside Out uh, from Pixar by my, uh, I have to say, my steadily favorite composer in Hollywood today, Michael Giacchino. And uh, the music he wrote for this story is not as imposing, I guess you'd say, as the scores he wrote for Up and Ratatouille, two of my favorite scores ever but if you have catch this scene where you see Riley and Joy doing a little pas de deux on the ice, uh, as uh, as an old memory is um, is brought to Riley as she's sleeping, it's uh, it's kind of an indication of how, how how sensitive Giacchino is as a composer. In that the music doesn't need to be, it would not uh, withstand a big bombastic sound at all. This is a very delicate moment, and um, as Giacchino told me when I interviewed him. He said, uh, my grandfather was a tailor, and I always think of him when I do what I do for a living. I make suits for movies, and that's, that's what the that's what scene gives you. It gives you just the right music, fitting the scene beautifully. So this is my pick.
0: Oh, no. Who is in charge of programming down there? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but
10: we are not going to end
0: the day like this. you worry i'm gonna make sure that tomorrow is another great day i promise i wanna be the one to walk in the sun and girls they wanna have fun fun Oh, girls just want to have That's all they really want Some fun When the working day is done Oh, girls, they want to have fun Oh, girls just want to have fun That's beautiful. Girls, they want want to have fun girls they want to have just wanna they just wanna just wanna they just wanna oh girls just wanna just wanna have fun okay
8: that's it Uh. kyoko Yoko. Where's Nathan? Where's Nathan?
7: Jesus Christ, you really don't speak a word. Man.
1: What the fuck? No, oh, no, no. No. Stop.
8: No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that.
1: What the fuck are you doing? I told you, you're wasting your time talking to her. However, you would not be wasting your time if you were dancing with her. Go ahead, dance with her. Dance with her. No? You don't like dancing? She does.
9: Come on, buddy. After a long day of touring test, you got unwind.
6: What were you doing with Ava? What? You tore up her
1: picture. I'm gonna tear up the fucking dance for it, dude. Check it
10: out.
2: <laughs> I think we should just play that on a loop the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. And then, who knew uh, Poe Dameron had those dance moves and didn't pull those out in *Force Awakens? You know, Michael Phillips, he, he's... Our resident expert when it comes to movie scores, and he's talked a number of times about uh, Michael Giacchino and his work with Pixar, and, and it's, it's a brilliant pick, and it's, I think it's true how he talks about how it has that gentleness and that delicacy that maybe is, not that his other scores aren't, but it, it is distinct from what he's done for Pixar. As otherwise. good as your Anomalisa pick is, and it was one
3: of my honorable mentions, and I obviously love that Ex Machina scene, watching that pick again. I wish I hadn't seen it Inside Out so early in the year because I think mm. I forgot about sublime moments like that. And watching that as I had to do a little editing there to pick it for the show, I was just so glad to see Michael pick it because it's not just... It's that perfect combination—the the music, the Giacchino score, and then that that little dance—just uh, so so sweet. So I, I'm really glad we got to feature it. But Lisa, tell us
2: about why yeah, was number one. Yeah, I probably should have set it up a little bit too. Uh, those were the two main characters, Michael Stone and Lisa, the woman he meets at this convention. So they returned to his hotel room here and they're sort of circling around this one night stand and he praises her voice. He actually asks her to sing at this point because he's so enthralled with her voice. And I just think that everything important about the Lisa character, which was the linchpin to the movie for me, um, and she's beautifully voiced and sung by Jennifer Jason Lee, I think this moment has Everything crucial about her character. There's that impulsive honesty where, um, you know, she does just start singing without maybe thinking about how it might come across. And then she does halt into quiet self deprecation um, and then gets lost in the moment, though, and proceeds with even more vigor because she's, for this brief section, this brief minute, found herself. Um, I like also the way that she shows here wonder can be found in the banal. Um, and the everyday, uh, even you know, even if it's a faded pop song by Cyndi Lauper. Apologies to Cyndi Lauper fans, but she brings ba- you know this magic that maybe it never had, um, and makes it work for that moment and mm-hmm. definitely for the
3: movie. I do want to note that Get Down Saturday Night was the alternate title for this show. I thought it was catchier than the rap party, but alas, I was outvoted. By show of hands, how many people here have been at a wedding or something recently and you've, you've dropped that Oscar Isaac line before going out to tear it up on the dance floor? <laughs> Just me? Okay. Well, uh, Wendy Weber, who's in attendance, from Joliet. Wendy, you out there? Yes. She, she raised her hand. It's a podcast, but she raised her <laughs> hand. I can see you. Thank you, Wendy. She wrote in and submitted that dancing sequence with Oscar Isaac as the scene of the year. She said it was a perfect break in the tense sci-fi drama. And he is a really good dancer, as is the actress who played Kyoko. Her name is Sonoya Mizuno. I agree. The dancing's great. It is a perfect break just when things are getting the most intense. And I do love the cut to Donald Gleason. that semi-dopey, shocked, horrified look on his face. (laughs) where he's watching something that's so perfect, right? This movement to this music perfectly in sync between these two people. We can say that, right? And for him, it's the most horrific thing he's ever seen in his life. And, of course, there is some context, if you've seen the movie, and some subtext there that makes it actually quite a disturbing scene about a man subjugating a woman, which is a a dominant theme in that film, And, and that it is so disturbing while simultaneously being so much fun, I think, is what makes that scene so great. It's white stuff. I mean, who doesn't love Oscar Isaac? I tweeted about this over Christmas to, to pat myself on the back. But, you know, all these people saying how they love him and they loved him forever. And Slate even did an article about when did you first fall in love with Oscar Isaac? And one person, I will say, they went all the way back to a Law & Order episode from, like, 2006. <laughs> so they may have me beat. But Sam Van Halgren up there can voucher me back before he had a van in his name. I was all over Oscar Isaac After the Nativity story, we reviewed that pretty mediocre Christmas film that came out back in 2006, but I could not take my eyes off of the guy playing Joseph. He was wonderful, and I knew he was a guy. I knew he was a guy to keep an eye on, so when he started getting some more work and when we saw him later and stuff like Drive, I, I wasn't surprised at all to see Oscar Isaac on screen and delivering such a good performance. It's time to move on to our next category, and it's, um, it's action scene, but just a quick note that we already have our first Massacre theater entry. Taylor Cole, he beat you all. He already sent it in, and Josh backstage pointed out my ignorance. For the people who know the scene, who recognize that performance, you know that there is a direct tie into something very close to my heart from the year in cinema, 2015, and I completely blew it. Not as so, close as you thought, I guess. No, I guess not. Well, let's get to our favorite action scene, and to do that, we're going to bring up somebody who, again, you heard during our 2015 roundtable, many appearances on the show over the years going back to at least 2007, also from the Next Picture Show podcast and various other outlets. Action is his middle name. He is Scott Tobias. Scott, come on up.
10: Wow. Yeah, action definitely... People who know me well know that uh, off-screen is when the action really starts. Exactly. <laughs> well, you are going to
3: start us off. What are some of the scenes you considered, just in terms of pure spectacle, the precision of the action
10: scenes, whatever it is that draws you to an action scene? Okay. Well, I think I should actually just present the biggest caveat I can present, which is that the best action scene is, is somewhere in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. <laughs> but just the whole I, film. I had yeah. a tremendous amount of difficulty isolating it, so I thought, no, I'll just let that go. Maybe that will be picked up by the. I other. gotcha. Okay, got I it. gotcha. Okay, so uh, so there's that, and then I also considered. I really thought the most recent Mission Impossible was it five, Rogue Nation. Yes, had a couple of really fine sequences in it. I was thinking the opera scene, but then I thought the opera scene, it's really good. It's probably something Brian De Palma has done before, maybe. I don't know. Well, so I so I, I that was that was the other one I considered, but uh, and I also considered. Uh, the, the bear scene in uh, The Revenant. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, because, uh, again, I, I'm on record as not really caring that much about the work of Alejandro González in Yuritu. <laughs> but I, I, I did Valid. think that the, that, the, that the first 40 minutes of the movie were really terrific.
2: And that, that scene was uh, extremely well handled. So those would be some of my honorable mentions. Some great stuff there, Josh. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned The Revenant because I know neither of you appreciate it. Very much at all, but the bear scene was my one I, I like to think of that bear scene as a, Like a King Kong Godzilla moment You know, it's like nature's in charge here Get back, and the, the way they Sustain that is pretty, pretty amazing I also thought about something from Furious 7 I mean, this being the year totally. That we had our Fast and Furious mini-marathon mm-hmm. I guess we could call it You know, I'm, I'm curious um, By applause, how many of you Followed along in any way on the Fast and Furious Marathon? Like, like watch Okay <laughs> Now, I hesitate to ask this. By applause, how many of you followed along on our Satyajit Ray marathon? <laughs> do we, f- do we feel-, I feel okay about that? that. It was about bad. even. It was I'll about even. It. Okay. We still have our credentials, I think. Um, yeah, but th- those were the ones that stood out for me. I couldn't as well isolate one in Furious 7, Scott. You know, it's just so magical altogether. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I did. You did? The, yeah, okay. the the.
3: the plane, oh, you love the dropping cars. The car cars. drop. The parachuting cars, The yeah. cars dropping from planes and that whole sequence was, was pretty great. You've covered the Revenant bear attack, Fury Road, of course, but Sicario, that border crossing sequence happens pretty early in the film where they go into Juarez and try to get out is is pretty amazing. The Opening scene I already touched on from Bridge of Spies. For how little action there is, it's still super intense. you covered the Vienna Opera House from Mission Impossible. But I'd also look at something like Spectre and that Day of the Dead opening. I know you liked that movie not as much as me. That's a great opening, though. <laughs> but that opening is pretty fantastic. And the movie gives you, that sequence gives you legitimate stakes in Bond potentially helping to kill tens of thousands or more innocent people, which a lot of Bond films don't have. So I thought that's what made that sequence stand out. And Josh, you spoke eloquently, as I recall, about this scene during our review from Black Hat, the finale of the Michael Mann film. like the Bond scene in that there's a chase, a good guy chasing the bad guy during a big parade. It's the day of silence, New Year's in Bali. And it's totally unlike the Bond scene, though, of course, in that it's in how it's rendered, really. It's less about the the precision of it and more about the aesthetics and the use of color and the use of movement in that sequence. The two guys we're focusing on are really standing out because of the way they, they clash amidst all that chaos and that beauty. So that's another one I considered. But... That brings us to our actual number one pick. Scott, do you want to set anything up here? I think you do need to oh, give I a little, yeah. little context. No, I
10: do, because I think you might find the scene a little bit boring in context, which for an action scene is not uh, so great. But, um, <laughs> but uh, my, my, my pick is from a movie called Cartell Land. Did anyone see Cartell Land? Oh, my goodness. Well, you should see it because it's one of the most exciting films of the year. And it's a documentary uh, where you usually don't look for um, best action scenes of the year. But I wanted to throw a little bit of a curveball. And I wanted to show a movie that really um, demonstrated what documentaries can do now in the digital age when you can have a filmmaker, in this case, uh, Matthew Heinemann, with a small camera throwing himself you know, in a very dangerous situation. Uh, Cartel Land is about... Uh, uh, Vigilante groups on both sides of the both sides of the border—one in, one in Arizona, one in Mexico—and um, uh, the scene we're about to see um, is a raid that he that he uh, that Matthew Heinemann's camera is there for. This vigilante group called the Auto Defenses is uh, preparing to um, take down these two. Um, these two cartel leaders, um, and uh, they've been on the systematic push to remove the cartel from the, the region. And so we actually, you know, Matthew Heineman is there with his camera, there are shots fired. I mean, what you see uh, may not be choreographed quite like uh, Mad Max Fury Road, but it is real.
1: Where?
0: No, aquí, aquí, está. ok. De abajo, abajo. Hay que, que ¡Oye! Oy, ¡Ahí está, está el, está está el, está el cárcel. Cárcel. Ah, vamos, vamos allá! ¡Vamos, vamos allá! ¡Vamos, allá! ¡Vamos, los vio? ¿Eh?
7: You're doing out there, all right?
1: You're a little tight. You're going to loosen up, all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to zoom your left under the radar. We'll come up with a shovel hook. You're going to see an opening, put it right on his chin, then I'll
7: drop him. I'll be Off, piece in Seconds
0: out. Roman
7: man did that to me. It
0: worked. I'll piece in. Seconds out. finish oh, it out there,
3: All right, I'll take the blame for that one. We definitely should have ended that montage with Mad Max Fury Road. Okay, I agree. But I went with Creed because it's a movie from this year that I did not love and that surprised me how much I loved it. And that scene is a boxing scene, which I think counts as an action scene, usually. And we've all seen a lot of boxing scenes in cinema. We've seen a lot of long takes in cinema, but I'm not sure, anyway, if we've seen a boxing scene where the entire bout is shot in one long take. And it's impressive because, yes, there's a technical achievement element to it, but I think like all the best long takes, it's ultimately really functional. That's what makes it so effective. And so beyond any thrills we get, just kind of visceral reaction to the moment, we get put into that fight with Adonis Creed and that's his first professional fight so He's got nowhere to hide. We've got nowhere to hide. There's no way to take a break. You go to that corner, the camera instantly goes back to the opponent. You're going to have to get up as soon as they're ready. And, and there's no sort of tricks to it. You are just stuck, and you're going, to, you're going to experience the exhilaration and the exhaustion and the fear that he experiences in real time. I actually did find a BuzzFeed article by Adam Very where he talks to Ryan Cooler, the director, and the star Michael B. Jordan, about that sequence in great detail. If you Google it, you'll find it. We'll also put it in our show notes. And Cooler said they spent a week blocking just that scene. It took 13 takes. The one we see in the film is the 11th take. And one of the things he mentions that I do love, I really appreciate about a filmmaker, is that he only did the long takes. He gave himself no outs. They did not shoot any cutaways whatsoever. It was going to work, or it was going to fail miserably. But they were going to push it, and, and obviously they did ultimately make it work. So. Michael Phillips, when he was on our roundtable show, talked about some of the best films of 2015, kind of finding the perfect balance of art versus entertainment, and I think Creed is definitely one of the movies that achieved that. So Creed's my choice, but Josh, you kind of stunned everybody, I think, with the Fury Road pick.
2: Yeah, I mean, Fury Fury Road is a little bit of an easy pick, and you're right, Scott, because every, every scene has that intensity, and I'm a little shocked that I ended up, when I consider them all without a car scene, because that's predominantly what's going on, but I think the same thing is at work here where it's, it's blisteringly fast, the action, um, but there's not an edit, there's not a gesture, there's not a camera angle that's out of place. I mean, did you notice that little moment when, um, when Max, like, turns around and growls at the women behind him, kind of to, like, keep them in their area? And that's, like, a half-second choice that has such an impact. So um, there's all those props that are at play here. We've got the chain, the guns two guns, a hose, and the way those are used, it reminded me a little bit of Jackie Chan, a Jackie Chan action film, who of course recalled the intricate physical comedy of Buster Keaton. And since we don't have Dana Stevens here, I had to make the obligatory Obligatory. Buster Keaton reference in her honor. But really, any post-apocalyptic action film that's going to build upon Jackie Chan and Buster Keaton, it's, it's going to get a lot of respect. From me, but uh, Scott, your pick. I'm I'm very curious to hear about it because I know you know you re- you pay such close attention to aesthetic choices. And there's one thing that was the first time I saw it just mm-hmm. now. Sure. And there's one little thing I noticed where they're waving. One of the enforcement law enforcement officers or whoever they were no, was no, waving the camera. No, the vigilante. Okay. okay. Yes. They're waving the camera, It seemed to me they were waving the cameraman back. Like things are getting really intense now. Get back. And the response was a zoom in. And I, you know, I don't know how how planned that was, but I, I, does that speak to the sort of aesthetic element that you're talking about in documentary filmmaking, where even though it's not planned out, there may be ways the cameras used um, that the choice just heightens. The tension of an action scene.
10: Well, I, I think it speaks to the filmmaker being crazy to do this, uh, really. Uh, but uh, one thing, actually, I will mention about the two scenes you chose is just how exquisite the choreography is in both, and how, what it, what a, in, in particular, uh, that how that brings it to life. It's not really just the, the context or the action. It's really just about um, you know the nuts and bolts and just just putting the camera in the right place and making it part of the action. The camera is such an active. Part in both of those scenes uh, but with uh, Cartel Land what interested me was this idea of the ride-along documentary you know I've been I'm a, I'm a film guy I'm a celluloid guy I just saw uh, The Hateful Eight in 70mm with with Adam and it was a, just a great experience but one of the things that excites me about uh, digital filmmaking is its effect on documentary filmmaking um I think documentaries have a potential to look really spectacular. And the cameras are so small that they can kind of uh, get themselves into spaces that they couldn't in the past with like a full crew. And so Matthew Heinemann, the director, in his in his gear... You know was able to go along and, and, and put himself into these situations where they're um, these where they 're on the hunt here where they 're really um, getting themselves into really sticky situations and you 're right there with them and so uh, that was kind of exciting there i mean really the context of the the scene before was uh, the, this woman talking about how Um, detailing all of the family members that she's had that have been killed by this cartel. And then that sets up, and it's cut, and it's that scene that we see, and it's just it's a really powerful film. It's a very visceral film, and I really hope people seek it out because it was one of the best documentaries that came out last year. Scott Tobias, everybody. Scott, thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
3: Before we get to our scenes of the year and hopefully your scenes of the year, we're going to announce the winner of the 2015 Golden Brick Award, Abraham.
0: It's the Golden Brick Award Put on your helmet and your sword Bow down to the lords of independent cinema It's the Golden Brick Award I hope you have your helmet and your sword and I hope you bow down to your Lord salvation for the sin in your <laughs>
3: Thank you Abraham. So anybody in here not know what the golden brick is? Come on, you can go ahead. You can applaud if you don't. Okay, well then we'll tell you just a little bit about it. We Created this, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. This is the seventh annual award, I guess. The criteria has evolved over the years, but basically, we're looking to reward and recognize an emerging filmmaker, someone who's made only a handful of films, and hopefully will get more recognition. And with their film, they show some real ambition, distinct directorial vision, and the inspiration came from Ryan Johnson's film Brick, the 2005 movie that was a film Sam and I championed heartily and encouraged many film-spotting listeners to see. So we kind of wanted to recognize films like that that a lot of people may not have seen if we didn't talk about them on the show, and then it turns out, more often than not, they actually enjoy them. So we, this year, narrowed it down to five finalists. I think all of them but one have come up already this evening. In one way or another, we've even seen scenes from a few of them. I'll quickly list the finalists in alphabetical order. Buzzard, directed by Joel Petrakis, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, directed by Marielle Heller, The Duke of Burgundy from Peter Strickland, Tangerine from director Sean Baker, and Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, There, great comedy. You saw that hilarious scene from What We Do in the Shadow. So, What we did was, as we've been doing over the past few years, we wanted to go out and throw it to you guys and let the listeners pick their choice, their winner. And then that would factor in as well to the the ultimate prize as we pick the Golden Brick winner for 2015. So, Josh, why don't we go ahead and get into the results of that poll?
2: Yeah, so these are results, again, are what you, the listeners, chose, and that's where your vote went into the ultimate winner. But for the listeners' poll, in The final slot was The Diary of a Teenage Girl. That received 8% of the vote. Following that was Buzzard. Buzzard received 15% of the vote. Very close here, next with 18% of the vote. That went to the Duke of Burgundy. Tangerine, which we have mentioned a few times here. Got 25% of the vote, but if you're following closely, you know that means that the listeners voted for What We Do in the Shadows, 34% of the vote. We got this bit of feedback
3: from Sarah in the poll. Such an incredible list of films to choose from. However, my winner by a long shot is What We Do in the Shadows. I wouldn't have seen it or even heard of it if it weren't for the show, and I'm so grateful that you guys reviewed it. It stayed in my top ten since I saw it back in February, and I haven't laughed that much at the theater in as long as as I can remember. So, yes, indeed, what we do in the shadows, the listener's number one pick, but not the golden brick winner. Man, I did not expect to let (laughs) people down. But you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy with how this came out, I promise. This year, what we decided to do was have a jury vote. We had some special members of the film spotting family. You've heard from two of them already. Tasha Robinson, Scott Tobias, Keith Phipps, Genevieve Kosky from The Next Picture Show all weighed in, Michael Phillips, Matt and Allison from Film Spotting SVU and we tallied the votes. We asked everybody to rank the films in their order from favorite to least favorite. It seemed like everybody agreed it was a really strong crop. There wasn't one case where people felt like there was a movie they didn't want to give any love to. And we tallied up the points at the end of the day and
2: did land on a on a clear winner. And Josh, go ahead and do the honor. The twenty fifteen Golden Brick winner was Tangerine. Now, we should probably talk a little bit about how Tangerine fit the criteria because we, you know, we've come to a lot of requirements, I guess you could say, and um, sometimes you feel like maybe we're squeezing one in to meet them, but Tangerine, when you look at it, it did get a lot of year-end attention. It's showing up on a number of top 10 lists, so you might say, come on, find something lesser known, but really since its July release, it's only grossed about $700,000, so not huge by any means. Sean Baker, the director, yes, he's made five indie features, um, but completely new to both Adam and I in 2015, and uh, completely new to a lot of moviegoers, so that seemed to fit. And really, mostly with Tangerine, for those of you who have seen it, it has those qualities like a distinct voice behind it, Um, a great storyteller behind it. You can see that. We're really excited to see what Baker's going to do next. I would say, for sure he's received the most notoriety of any of his films after this. So what that opens up for him is exciting. And you know, if you look back at the past winners, I think also a quality is that it's formally inventive yes. in some way, and uh, it it's does something or works in a way that few other films have. And I don't want to put this all on the fact that Tangerine was shot with a mobile phone, because it's not just that, but the way that was used and the fact that they decided not only do that but still make it a widescreen picture um i mean it, it was i don't think it looks like any other film you've seen shot no. on a mobile phone either so there's a real uniqueness to this picture and what you said about looking forward to what's
3: next i mean i think it at the end of it when we're picking our winners you you ask yourself that question who's the filmmaker who's next film if you could only see one of them whose do you go see and for me it's sean baker did get my number one vote so we want to congratulate sean and his fine cast and crew and we want to share a scene with you from tangerine let's watch a clip this is from the opening of tangerine and we'll also hear from our winner
7: hi (laughs) (laughs) are we supposed to share it yes we're supposed to share it bish i'm broke (laughs)
4: happy man I've been great.
7: You probably got tips, bitch.
4: This <laughs> of estrogen has been kicking in. The only thing that hasn't broken down was these fucking arms. Everything else on my body looks good. Oh, honey, girl, you try that. I look like the real thing. So,
1: I got some good news
7: to tell you. What? I've been keeping a secret about me and Chester.
4: Girl,
7: <laughs> woo! I know what it is. Oh, You're girl. breaking up with him. Thank God. Because, what? honey, for what? him to be cheating on you what? like that. Wait wait, 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 what? Uh, Um, you you didn't know? How the fuck would I know, girl? Because everything that you've been hearing on the block about the girl that he's been
4: with, bro, you're the first girl I've seen on the block. Mm. You, who is she? Girl,
7: she she's some white fish. I don't know. Tessa's fucking. She know me with real fish. Yeah, bitch, like a real fish. Girl, like vagina and everything. I've been gone for twenty eight fucking days. And you mean to tell me that he's been out here cheating on me with fish?
6: Hey Adam, hey Josh, uh, it's James Ranson and Sean Baker from Tangerine and all of the film spotting audience. Uh, we would just wanted to say thank you for our
4: 2015 Golden Brick Award.
6: Yep, you guys have been incredibly supportive. Love you guys, Gosh. wish we were there with Gosh. you. Um, thanks for everything.
3: I think that's, that's a first, Josh, in Golden Brick history. Where we had a filmmaker get to accept an award. Of course, we didn't actually present them with an award. We need to... Is there an actual award? A listener a few years ago did send some golden bricks, bricks that were painted gold. I have like three of them at my house. I, I don't oh. know why I didn't ship a brick to Sean Baker. And the we're man. all set then. Maybe, maybe next year we will uh, pull that off. Maybe next year whoever wins will actually be here, and we can present them with that amazing amazing prize you don't see him in that opening scene obviously we see Maya Taylor and Katana Kiki Rodriguez but uh, uh, James Ranson's character is Chester the infamous Chester from that scene so fantastic that James and Sean took the time to send in that video
2: so Tangerine it did get second place in the listener vote and we received some feedback from those who voted for it Eleanor Dodson said I feel like what we do in the shadows deserves acknowledgement just for how much the two of you giggled through your review Fantastic comedy. However, Taika Waititi is already lined up to direct the next Thor movie. This is true. Did you guys know that? Taika Waititi is going to make the next Thor. Is this what we talk about when we say what they're going to do next that we're excited about? I'm a fan of Thor, but I don't know about that. Not to ding, Eleanor continues, someone for success, but that's a big 180 from the spirit of independent filmmaking that the Golden Bricks aim to recognize. I love the Duke of Burgundy for its delicate, complex, ridiculous tale of love. I loved Buzzard, which definitely would have passed me by without your championship. But Tangerine is my vote. In addition to being stunning and warm-hearted, it feels the most urgently of the moment. This is the film of these four that I'll revisit. And I can't wait to see what Sean Baker does next. Andrew McGee in Manchester, UK wrote, I simply would not have seen
3: Tangerine if it weren't for you guys. And I feel that is one of those films that your listeners have probably gone on to champion to their friends and colleagues, as I myself did. It's not only a great contender for the Golden Brick, but for Film
2: of the Year. Made three of our four round table top ten lists, Mm -hmm. right? Andrew Cochran in Riverside, California also wrote in, Tangerine on a technical level is a wonder. Some of the tracking shots were mind-boggling, bearing in mind that they were all performed on iPhones, and the film grain they employed in post-production really brought out the natural beauty of a city I'm not really a fan of. The performances were spot on, and the human moments amidst the chaos really made this film both affecting and memorable. In short, this was a good year for the Golden Bricks, but Tangerine takes the donut. Yeah, indeed, sitting there at
3: donut time. Andrew from Riverside, California, not a fan of L.A., apparently. That is the the setting of the movie Tangerine. Our thanks to everyone for voting, for playing along with the Golden Bricks this year. We are looking forward, of course, to 2016. Abraham, play us out.
9: It's the golden brick of war. Put on your helmet and your sword, baby. Bow down to the lords of independence in the cha-cha-cha.
0: <laughs>
3: so we're nearing the end here, folks. Our picks for scene of the year, but we did send out an email to everybody who bought a ticket. Hopefully, most of you got it. We got some great responses. We wanted to include you guys. In this show. It's been so much fun being able to feed off you guys throughout this whole evening. And we're going to just kind of throw a microphone out here to the people we've picked based on who emailed us. So you've thought about this. You, you know what you're going to say, basically. You just don't know that we're going to call on you. And you can, of course, decline if you so choose. But let's actually start with the aforementioned Taylor Cole. Taylor, are you here? Upstairs or downstairs? I'll be there in right a second. Right here near coming. the front. So, Tyler, where are you at with the mic? I'm coming. Tyler's
7: All coming. So,
2: Josh, sings Tyler some more is, for us. Uh, Tyler's floating in the ceiling like what we do in the shadows. He'll be down. He's coming. We did not, see we did not we prepare go, a we dance go. number. Okay, almost fell. All the way. There you go. There you go. Josh, you can, you can do the Get Down Saturday yeah. Night. Go
3: this ahead. It's true. Go ahead. Taylor. Yes. Tell us about your pick, which comes from a movie that got a little bit of love. Michael Phillips actually had it in his top ten. Yeah, my favorite scene of 2015 uh, comes from Love and Mercy, and it is the scene where they're in the studio uh, during the recording of Pet Sounds and the conversations that Brian Wilson is having with the musicians. Uh, It's pulled from sort of the actual tapes of those recording sessions that the actors are sort of improvising based off of or even quoting directly from. And uh, for me, as someone who's a musician myself, this was just you know super catnip to dig into and hear uh, some of this. Uh, but at the, at the same time, it was totally a perfect way to encapsulate Brian Wilson's unique brand of genius that uh, he used in his recording. And more than any other scene I saw this year, as crazy as things got or one-take
6: boxing matches, this was where I really sat up and am like, oh, this movie's really doing something and going for
3: it. I love All that
2: right. scene. Thank Great you, pick. Taylor. Great pick, Taylor. All right. Another listener who wrote in is Chad from Evanston. Chad, I guarantee you're probably up in the balcony now, right?
6: Where are you, Chad? Oh, my. This is
9: hilarious. This is a gag. You did this on purpose. This could not have worked out better. No reserved seats. Come on.
2: This has suddenly turned into a game show or something. This is payback. Okay. Have you found Chad? Here we go. We, We found Chad.
8: Yes. Hello. So am I saying the scene that I like, or are you guys gonna? You're gonna okay. take it away. It's okay. all you, Chad. Just What's your please, favorite scene of the year? Please, Chad.
2: Do not spoil my scene of the year.
8: <laughs> um, my scene of the year is in the first, I think, five minutes of Brooklyn. It's at the. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. It's like a, the dance hall of the small Irish town, and I forget how to pronounce her name. In the in the. Ailish. Ailish. Thank you. Um, Sarah Sharon, played by Sarah uh, the She goes to this dance. She sees her friend. Um, go off and dance with this um, this other guy. And the look on Saoirse Ronan's face, as soon as I saw it, uh, it, it pretty much set up the, the rest of the movie for me. Uh, it, it realized that I was in really good hands uh, with, with Saoirse Ronan, and she totally carried the film, um, and it's stuck with me ever since. And there's uh, many other scenes in that movie that I really loved, but that one, right away, set the tone, um, and And just made me love it from Mm -hmm. from then on
3: Thank you, Chad Yeah, in good hands with Ronan In good hands with the director, John Crowley, as well So, round of applause, Chad Thank you We were also hoping to hear from Dan Sturt Schaumburg Dan, are you here? Right in front
7: Come on, Tyler (laughs) Tyler, You
3: you know what, Dan could just come up to my mic We could do it that way Come
1: on was not planned. Oh, you're
8: getting faster. We're never doing this again. Here we go. Where are we?
3: So Dan, a scene from a movie we just saw, but not the scene we saw.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Dan. Yes. <laughs> so I picked a scene from Creed, which was reminiscent also of a scene from Rocky Balboa, where Sylvester Stallone's in the cemetery. He pulls down a chair and sits by the graveside of his beloved Adrian and friend Pauly, and just has a short conversation with them, tells them about his life. I wrote that this was my favorite scene, kind of biased as a a bereavement counselor. I work for a hospice, so we do a lot of work around death and encourage people to keep talking to their loved ones. Hmm. But what really surprised me is that I mean, we all love Sylvester Stallone, but he's a little bit of a blockhead sometimes. So to see him in this context and to see his tenderness and how much I was moved by just the kindness of the moment was a pleasant surprise. Hmm. So that was my pick.
3: It is a good scene. Very, Very well articulated. Thank you, Dan. And we have one more. Andy from Philly. Are you out there? Andy from Philly. <laughs>
6: oh, that's... So that nice. worked out. Okay. I
3: wanted to see Tyler run some more. <laughs> well played, Abraham. But Andy, longtime listener, indeed from Philadelphia, perfectly appropriate as we're talking about Rocky you Balboa. You made the trek all the way out here, not just for us, but I want to believe it was mainly for us.
6: That was the inspiration. That was the main inspiration. Yes. <laughs> Love it. What was your scene of the year? Tell us. I think I sent in two. You, you, did. B- you did. You did. You remember which one? You're this just has like been Adam. so good. Yeah, cheap. us decides to the last Tell us minute. both of them. I go. think I
3: was primarily thinking of the first one you mentioned, though.
6: Was it Mistress America? Indeed it was. There you go. Because yeah. you already talked about the Sicario border yep. crossing, which was my other one. But, yeah, so um, probably my favorite scene of the year was uh, in Mistress America. There's a whole middle section of the film. It, I was generally... I liked the film, but it wasn't one of my favorites of the year. But um, really the part of the film that I loved the most was in the middle... After the after the two characters, the two main females, kind of get to know each other, they end up going to Greta Gerwig's uh, ex fiance's house in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and uh, you know there's all this kind of tension between uh, Greta Gerwig and her and her ex fiance and her ex best friend, um, and what ends up happening is this sort of like screw this like heavenly bit of like screwball comedy that goes on for like half an hour. Mm-hmm and the tension just keeps escalating and the best part about it is that like every little bit of comedy is based in character details mm-hmm. and so so like and it just gets like zanier and zanier and just like the whole thing ends up just kind of turning into this i don't know it's just it's hard to describe it's just mm-hmm. so fun to watch because you know that I don't know. It's just
2: awesome. That's it's awesome. great. <laughs> it, 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 I agree. It explodes into farce. It's a great moment.
6: <laughs> Thank you, Andy.
3: Actually, Josh, another plant. I just wanted an excuse to give Noah Baumbach some more love this year, but we didn't fight about that movie. No,
2: Mistress America. Oh, and that's exactly the scene in it. I mean, that makes the movie. Yep.
3: Okay, we're here.
2: It's the end of the show. Scene of the year, Josh. Your contenders. So, we've talked about two scenes in The Assassin when we reviewed it, mentioned it when it was on my top 10 list as well. And I almost went with, I, I could, maybe I didn't pick it because I couldn't decide between them. It's when Shu chi is watching her quarry from behind the curtains, and then her foggy mountaintop meeting with her master, where the mist just arises from the valley and, and overtakes them. Another one I considered was I, have we brought up Carol yet? No. How many people have had a chance to see Carol? I know it. Good, good. So you could, I mean, it's weird because there's acting in this scene, but it's not the biggest acting scene in the film. But the one that I remember is that car ride through the tunnel. Um, It's ridiculous. I couldn't find a place to mention it in my written review about it. But I love how it blends reality and fantasy, where the two of them are in the car. It's how Carol is looking at Therese is one level, and then how Therese wants her to look at her. And the way the director, Todd Haynes, is able to move back and forth between those um, in one scene is pretty amazing. Timbuktu. Um, Has anyone seen Timbuktu, an African film? Oh, that's great. So we have an erudite audience, Josh. I don't know why you're surprised. Well, it was, you know, this one, actually, I shouldn't be surprised because it's been available. I think I watched it on Amazon Instant Video for quite a while, but it it came out at least in the U.S. pretty early in the film. And I only caught up with it myself towards the end of the year. Um, The scene I'm thinking of is a little bit apart from maybe the narrative at large, or maybe I haven't thought about it enough to see exactly how it fits in. But there's this accidental, really clumsy murder that takes place at the edge of a shallow lake. And then we jump back to this extreme wide shot of the whole lake as we watch the murderer walk across, because it's so shallow, to the other side. And just the way there's this wake of guilt following him is is pretty stunning. Um, Let's go back to Tangerine, because the the scene, this is the closest one that I almost picked, was the car wash scene. And, um, you know, yeah, I don't know how that would have (laughs) played. You know, out of out of context or in general it's it's there's so much going on there and it's that mesmerizing mixture of tawdriness and beauty that the whole film has um that's captured in that scene absolutely so all of those were very clear. it was it was there wasn't like a clear obvious one for me mm-hmm. this year it was back and forth
3: i'm glad you mentioned tangerine again only so i can say that if you haven't seen it i believe it's still streaming on netflix one option anyway if you have a chance to see it for the scenes i considered for scene of the year two words puppet sex <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. One fan, fan out there. Uh, that's from Anomalisa, the Charlie Kaufman film with Duke Johnson that we just talked about this week on the show, actually, and did open this weekend in Chicago. So you can seek that out if you want to see how that great scene, girls just want to have fun, and you want to watch some puppet sex. You can. We spent you can see a lot that. of time on the puppet sex in our review, I, too. I don't know what that says, but <laughs> we're going to move on. One of the films that was my outsider pick for top ten of the year. My number seven was Taxi, the film from the Iranian filmmaker Jafar Panahi. Played at the Gene Siskel Film Center. I'm glad some people had a chance to see it. I talked about this one a little bit during that show, but The Husband's Dying Request, where Jafar Panahi, the director, is pretending to be just a taxi driver and not telling anyone who he is, and he picks up a man and a woman after an accident, and the man is going to the hospital, and he thinks he's going to die, and he knows that his entire will, everything, all of his assets is probably going to go to his brothers and not to his wife. And so he uses Panahi's phone to give his last will and testament. So he has an official record of it. And of course, this whole thing is probably staged. There's probably no part of it that's real. But you don't know that when you're watching it in the moment, how authentically and how urgently it plays out. So I love that scene. I love that film, Taxi. I mentioned the look of silence earlier when our interviewer talks to one of the former commanders of the death squads that he is investigating. And the commander decides he's really no longer into this line of questioning. And he sort of turns the table just really subtly but really wickedly. And it becomes a threat, Mm -hmm. a very clear threat against the interviewer's life and against his family's life. 45 years, the slideshow, that's all I'm going to say. Don't want to spoil it. January 22nd, it opens here. But Charlotte Rampling's Kate, she has this late-night slideshow session up in her attic, devastating and simple but perfectly staged by the director, Andrew Haig. And, you know, I couldn't talk about Scenes of the Year without mentioning your favorite, the big short, director Adam McKay, the Jenga scene, Ryan Gosling at his That's best. That's a good scene.
2: Yeah, so you'll give me that, thank you. You know what, Explaining i that that's your most inspired number one pick since I've been on the show. I may yeah. have not like no, I may have not liked the film, but I love I love the pick. If that makes sense, that I went out there. Yeah, yeah, I like it.
3: I did not a safe choice necessarily, but overall getting pretty positive reviews. But Gosling in that one explaining mortgage bonds, the entire basis of the two thousand eight financial collapse collapse, and it really should be this variation on. The Alec Baldwin scene from Glengarry Glen Ross, from Ben Affleck ripping off Alec Baldwin and Glengarry in the movie Boiler Room. It's the big man presenting his big plan for financial success. But Gosling's character, just he doesn't have it. He just doesn't have the presence and the self-awareness. And The Big Short isn't one of those films. So, of course, it's going to end up playing out like a subversion of those scenes in those movies. And I think Gosling is brilliant in it. So, The Big Short, my final contender, and... That brings us to the final two selections, the final two scenes of the night. Josh, any setup here? No, I think,
2: um, I think mine will speak for itself, or there's no way to really set it up. <laughs> yeah, maybe the <laughs> latter. <laughs>
3: this machine.
4: He does. He's a rev-head.
6: You've got two left. On him.
7: Don't breathe.
3: Josh couldn't go with
2: fish heads, so we went with dogs. I love it. I think, yeah, I think, you know, after maybe 10 years, we're going to be able to look at all our scenes of the year in a row and have a pretty disturbing psychological profiles. Good point. Um, So, yeah, so that's White God, releasing the hounds in White God. I I think I've heard a few people recognize it. How many have seen White God? Great. So, Hungarian film where, yeah, essentially, by the climax, the dogs and the pound do take over the city of Budapest. And it's it's a big moment, but I can be enraptured by quiet films. I mean, 45 years, which I just caught up with, I really enjoyed. That's probably a good example of a very quiet film that works wonderfully. But if I'm honest, I, I go to the movies for big, bold, audacious moments, and that's what we have here in the scene from White God. Uh, the filmmakers, they actually corralled some 200 animals to pull this off um, released them on the empty streets of Budapest and um, uh, and then just kind of made this movie come to this I mean if some people laugh during that that's okay because this movie always keeps you on the edge of laughing and especially if you're a dog person like really on edge um, and worried and it's kind of playing with you that way so um, it was my number two film of the year and uh, I think, you know, it works too. It's not just a stunt because uh, White God is all about what it means to be civilized. It asks that question right at the start. What does it mean to be civilized? We claim we're civilized. But also how those who do claim to be civilized, how do we actually exercise our dominion over others? Um, and there's an allegorical element to that as well. So I think this scene, it vigorously upends our notions of all that. Um, and especially in the context of the film, it's, it's a real stunner. So I went with that one, but I, I do really like the the Mad Max pick um, that you made because it's just maybe the reason this movie, at least for me, was so high on my uh, top ten list, number three, uh, is because it, it totally upended my expectations of what this sort of manly franchise, which it has always been, mm-hmm. um, could be. And that's, that's the passing of the baton right there, right? Yeah,
3: it is. It was my number four, but... Even if it was my number one, the fact is it's, it's the film of 2015. I think Fury Road is, and 2015 was also a year for me, as I've said multiple times on recent shows, that was defined by women's stories and performances by women more than anything, and it's all encapsulated there in that moment. I was talking about the big short and subversions of familiar scenes. Here you've got our masculine hero, the titular character, handing over his rifle to a woman, but... Even more than that, he allows himself to be used as her prop in that scene so that she can aim better and ultimately kill the Bullet Farmer, I believe is the name of that character. Not as exciting to say as the Doof Warrior, but but we'll take it. And what I love, and, and this goes back to the scene you picked too, that chain scene, your action pick, was so good because... The fact that this movie just never really... Even when it slows down, it doesn't slow down, you know? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the fact that she sees that opening to take him down and instantly goes for him, she doesn't hesitate to pull the trigger. There's no bullets in it. But she doesn't hesitate at all. And there, there's that same kind of rush to that sequence as well where she she doesn't overplay anything. She wants the gun. You You can tell she wants the gun, but she doesn't demand it. She doesn't take it from him. She recognizes him and respects him as a warrior, too, but he respects her as a warrior and ultimately decides that she's the better person to pull this off and to take the shot. There's nothing said. There's nothing outwardly expressed or really dwelled on. It's just the body language and her instinctively moving her arm as if she's always been the person to take that kind of shot. And so she wants the gun, and he recognizes that. It's, it's for me, again, it, it sort of sums up not only what I love about that film, but how it's kind of the film of the year for that reason. How do we do, everybody? <laughs> All right. Thank you. So we're through all our categories, and that means, Abraham, you're up for a little musical recap. Mm -hmm.
9: Hello, it seems. Mad Max would have swept every category If they voted as a team But the songs they chose Showed that dancing with a robot Was just way more on the nose For Scott Tobias, the action In reality, trumped the fictional
0: the golden ring shone undivided. Tangerine, but not on that side, the director sent in his own video to that sway and a I Josh. watch Mad Max and drink a large beer or three or four oh.
3: that is Film FilmSpotting's 2015 Rap Party Live it sounds like you had fun For everybody listening to this on the radio, you only heard half the fun. The entire live show with Massacre Theater and much more is available at filmspotting.net or you can, of course, subscribe to the
2: podcast via iTunes. We welcome your feedback, as you saw tonight, heard live tonight, so please send that to us. You can send it at feedback at filmspotting.net. You can also leave us a voicemail. The number for that is and we're on Twitter at filmspotting and at facebook.com slash filmspotting.
3: At filmspotting.net, you can find 10 years of reviews, marathons, interviews, and of course top five lists in our show archives, and while you're there... You can take a moment to vote in our current film spotting poll. We are asking for your favorite lead performance of 2015. We are going to get to our own list, even though we're calling this the rap party, we're somehow devoting another top five to 2015. Our favorite performances, we apologize. A lot of people
2: to thank here tonight, Josh. So many to thank. I mean, we really upped the production level for this year's show, and we that's tried. for. A lot of people other than us who helped doing that. We have associate producer Candice Griffiths we want to thank. Our producers, of course, Sam Van Halgren and Golden Joe DeSoe. Let's hear for those guys,
3: especially Sam. That, you know, that intro was magical.
2: And you saw him. You never knew he was this quick on his feet. Our event manager, Tyler Green. Without Tyler and Golden Joe, this show wouldn't go. Thanks also to all our WBEZ volunteers, special thanks to podcast intern Justin Bull, live event director Don Hall, Trisha Bobita, who is on social media for us, and Colin Ashmead Bobbitt, our recording engineer, and of course the whole crew here at Main Stage, where it's so good to be back, including Max Everett, production manager, and Kat and Jacob. Lastly, I call them our secret weapon, and I think that is very true. Our featured artist, Abraham Levitan. Let's hear it one more time. (laughs) Abraham,
3: you you have the mic, and I understand you have your own podcast. Do you want to promote it? Oh,
0: my.
9: Please do. Oh, geez. Uh, Yes, I did just start a podcast called Nerds on Tour. Uh, We have two episodes in the books. Find (laughs) it on iTunes. I talk with music people about money, motivation, and the rest of life, and we have a great time, and I don't screech
2: like Axl Rose at any point during the podcast. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. Huge thanks to you guys, last of all. This, you were an amazing crowd. I mean, just to feel the engagement and the support and the participata- and the participation, we appreciate you coming out, especially on a bad weather night like this. I'd clap for you, but that would sound odd, so give yourselves a round of applause. All right, for Film Spotting, I'm Josh Larson.
3: I'm Adam Kempinar, who's already started drinking. We'll be drinking later in the bar if anybody wants to join us. Thank you again for coming out. Thank you for listening to Film Spotting.
1: This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.